Bible, you can raise your hand and these guys will give you one. You can take your Bibles or your devices or whatever you're using. Don't watch the British Open. Turn to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. couple things I want to mention to you, and then we will get started. In case you haven't noticed, in the lobby, coming in, having the duck and other things, uh, VBS starts tonight. So they've done a magnificent job of turning this into a shipwreck island. I'm sure Gilligan will show up. If you don't know who Gilligan is, you can take a three-hour cruise, or you can check that out. I used to look like Gilligan. That was a long time ago. All right. So that starts tonight at, at 6.30, and we'll be going through Thursday night, and I guarantee you, if you would like to help, they would love to still have you here and uh, can use your help, and if you haven't signed your child up and would like them to be part of VBS, you can do that right out in nice hat, his VBS hat on, oh, he's oh, he, too embarrassed to come through the door, it's hard to believe with him, nice, v- nice VBS hat right there. All right, hats for everybody. Tonight, at 6.30 through Thursday night, and it's always cool. It's a lot of fun. Uh, even though it's hot, we'll, we'll make it through. So if you haven't signed your child up, you can do that. Or if you'd like to help, you can also do that. And if you would like to, when, you, when you're out and about, uh, we're again collecting school supplies to help in Galloway and other places. So if you'd like to pick up some school supplies and drop them off here, uh, if there's specific things you might want to get, you can check with Rhiannon and see what they might need. But uh, you can use those school supplies. Just a quick note about something, and then, then we will get in. When you came in, and I know uh, there are a number of you here that may not have been here before or have, don't do this when you come in, but you'll see this little ivory card. It's called the Connect Card. And whether you're brand new here, it's your first time here, or that you're here all the time, you pick one of these up when you come in or they're on the black boxes at the doors. You can register your visit with us if you're here uh, for the first time. We'd love to know that. If you've got questions, if you've got comments, if you've got prayer requests, if you've got change of address, anything you'd like to put on these Connect cards, you could drop them in the, the black boxes on your way out. That's uh, a way of communicating with us. All right, take your handout. If you haven't turned to Acts chapter 7 already, do that. As we continue to look at the history of the early church and this series that we're calling Your Kingdom Come. And last week we began to look at Stephen, the first martyr of the church. We've looked at it for a couple of weeks. And Stephen, you'll notice there on your handout, and we, we've looked at who Stephen was, and we all know that. But last week we got into to point number two, and Stephen's defense before the Sanhedrin. And we focused on the beginning of it that the Jewish people had forgotten their roots, who their God was, who Abraham was. And we're going to get into uh, that in much greater detail today. But what I want you to do to start out with, I want you to flip over for just a moment. You can put your hand out there if you'd like. And turn over to the book of Galatians, chapter 3. Galatians, chapter 3. We talked about, it's always important, and when you're studying a book of the Bible, to understand 
the type of literature that you're studying. And Acts is a book of history. It is a history book written by Luke to record the first hundred years or so of the early church, the beginning of this thing Jesus called his church, his body, the gates of hell would not prevail against that. And Acts is the Luke's recording in a very detailed, organized fashion of the history of the early church. When you get to the martyrdom of Stephen, where we are in Acts chapter 6, and now transitioning, transitioning into Acts chapter 7, it's a turning point in that history of the church. They're at Jerusalem, and they're 99% Jewish And the great commission Jesus had given to them was, I want you to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, where they are, then Judea, then Samaria, concentric circles going out, and to the ends of the earth, to the nations. Make learner followers of me of the nations. While they're at Jerusalem, there are Jews coming in from all over the Roman Empire, but they're Jewish. And that's where the church is and that's the ministry they had under the leadership of Peter in Acts chapters 1 through 6. So as you get into chapter 6, at the end of it, at, at Stephen, and in chapter 7, and we're going to see as Stephen is martyred, there's a transition time. And there's a guy who's part of the martyrdom, one of the leaders. The Bible says, we saw last week, Saul of Tarsus is consenting unto Stephen's death. He was one of the Pharisees one of the Sanhedrin. He's there participating, probably encouraging. His job was to go around and persecute followers of Jesus. That's what he's doing. It says he's consenting unto his death, and they laid the clothes of Stephen at his feet. We're going to see all this as we go move on. And then then an incredible thing happens, because the sovereign hand of God, you're going to see it, not only in the book of Acts, you can look back and you can see it, in history, and as Saul is standing there consenting unto Stephen's death, the first martyr of this new thing called the church, God is beginning a new thing in history. And as it turns, the same Saul of Tarsus is going to be dramatically saved on the road to Damascus and become the Apostle Paul to take the gospel to those nations, those Gentiles. Now, without question, Paul is as Jewish as a man can be. Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus is as Jewish as a person can be. In the book of Philippians, he describes himself as a Hebrew of the Hebrews, circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. When it came to the law, he was zealous for the law. When it came to the law, blameless. He was a self-righteous leader of the Jews, a Pharisee. You could not be any more self-righteous than these people were. And Saul was at the top of the list. He was educated. He was a Roman citizen, incredibly bright. And his job was to persecute Christ followers. And he was really good at it. And then God saves him. And gives a special call on his life as a Jew, as a former member of the Sanhedrin, as a Pharisee, as a Hebrew of the Hebrews. But my call on your life is to take the gospel to the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, our ancestors, Europeans and Africans, and it moves on and on. I want you to make sure that happens. That's your call. But Paul, as we're going to see, loved his people. 
And he understood what we're, Stephen's defense as we're looking at it. And the first thing where we started out last week, and you see it there on your handout, first thing Stephen presents to the Sanhedrin, remember these are Hebrews of the Hebrews, this Jewish Supreme Court that he's standing before, experts in the law and the scriptures, every one of them. And as Stephen begins to address them, his first point to them is, you have forgotten your roots. So this same Saul of Tarsus, who becomes the apostle to the Gentiles and wrote so much of our New Testament. I want you to see what he wrote. His very words that he writes in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Just as Abraham, Galatians 3, 6. Just as Abraham, the father of the Hebrew nation, the father of Judaism, the father of Islam, the father of the faith, Christianity, what it would become called, Abraham, the father of the three great religions that are still exist on planet Earth to this day. Paul writes, and by quote scripture, Genesis, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness from Genesis, therefore know that only those who are of faith Only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, that would be what you and I would call the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, and the scripture foreseeing that God would save the Gentiles, not the Jews, the Hebrew scriptures seeing that the Gentiles, the pagans, would be saved by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you... Abraham, all the nations, God said, shall be blessed. Understand, when God gives this incredible, it's called the Abrahamic covenant, to Abraham, there was no Jewish nation at that time. History is so important. No Jewish nation at that time. But he said, I have a special covenant, three-pronged promise to you, Abraham. And it's not just for this one nation that will later be called Israel, but Abraham, it's for all the nations. They're all going to be blessed through your descendants. So let's read on. Remember, there is no Jewish nation. It's like 430 years before the law. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. I hope you're getting the point. He's trying to get, as he writes this letter to the Galatians, and to the Jews who might read it, to understand this. It's not because you have Jewish blood coursing through your veins that you are a child of God. It's whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, it's the fact that you have faith in the promised seed to Abraham and his name is Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He came, yes, for the Jews, historically first to them. He came into his own. His own received him not. But to as many as received him, he gave the right, the privilege to become children of God, whether you're Jewish or you're Gentile. Hang on to that. It's so important. So he says, the principle, first thing I want you to see here, they'd forgotten their roots. And even to this day, If you're an Orthodox Jew, you believe you alone are the children of God. We are God's chosen people. Yes, they were chosen for that moment in history 
for many years to bring the Messiah. And it was an incredible privilege, just like Mary was chosen as the virgin to bring the Messiah onto the planet. And to, in the Jewish culture, to be the mother of the Messiah was the prayer of every woman. And Mary was blessed, and we should honor that. But it doesn't make her God. It just, for that moment in history, she was chosen, she was blessed. So here's what's exciting for us to understand, what Paul's writing here in Galatians. Those that are the children of God are those that are blessed with believing Abraham, not those who have Jewish blood, Jews who are by faith born again, and Gentiles who are by faith born again. How many of you are Jewish? Good grief, we have none. Mary thinks her ancestors are, but that's a different story. Her brother's convinced that we're all Jewish. Well, in one sense, we are. But it's not important, see? Jesus' great commission, the theme of what we're looking at was what? Go into, get out of Jerusalem, go to Judea, go to Samaria, We've talked about that before. They didn't want anything to do with Samaritans. We're not going there. Go to the ends of the earth, to all the nations, and make disciples, learner followers of me in all of those nations. And what was the last thing he said? What makes this most significant is what we're talking about. But beyond that, when you're Jesus of Nazareth, when you're God in the flesh, and the last thing you say, everything you say is important, but the very last thing you said before you left the planet, we might want to focus on that, don't you think? That's what the Great Commission is. It's the last thing he said, and then he ascended. And he said, I want you to do all of that. And then he said this, I'll be with you always. When did always end? Last Tuesday? When the heat index was 115, no. When did it end? It hasn't ended. So do you understand that as the church, whose call on the call on our life and the commission on our life is to go? This is where we are right now, so this is where we go. And to make disciples of Jesus, learner followers, and knowing this, as we've already seen, is it going to be easy? No, as we're about to see, not going to be easy. It will be difficult, but it's worthwhile because the work we do is eternal work. Not temporary, not for the moment. It's eternal. It lasts forever because it changes people's lives for all eternity. So back to Galatians. Now look at verse 16, same chapter, verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed... Singular were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, or plural, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. Now, verse 17. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, after Abraham got the Abrahamic covenant, then they got the Mosaic covenant 400 years later. We'll talk more about that in a moment. That cannot annul, the Mosaic covenant cannot, or the law, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. Now you can go back to Acts. So here's what Paul's writing to the Galatians, and the Holy Spirit's having him give to us his scripture. 
Yes, God gave Moses the covenant of the law for the Jewish people and how they were to be separate unto God as they were to bring the Messiah to planet earth and be different amongst the pagans so they would see that the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses was God. That's why God told Moses to tell the Hebrews his name was I Am. So they would know there is no other God. I Am. The very first of the law and that Ten Commandments that he gave to Moses was I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You will have no other gods, plural, before me. Here's why. As they went into the promised land, they left Egypt, which had many, many gods. They were headed to the promised land, uh, which was filled with ites. Canaan, all the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Hivites, the, the Amorites, the Termites, the Parasites. It was full of ites. Some of your ancestors probably parasites. I know mine were. So as they were going to that, they were all polytheistic. Study history. Every culture has always been polytheistic. And what God wanted to say to them is, you could be polytheistic all you want. I gave you the right to choose. I created you with the ability and the capacity to, to emote, to think, and to choose. You could choose many gods. But I'm telling you, there's only one. It is I. I am. If you don't think the United States of America is polytheistic, you ain't paying attention. We're polytheistic. You know who everybody's God is? Me. How many of us are in this country? There's a few. And outside those devoted to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, every one of those others is polytheistic because my God is me and my money, my power, my things, my family. You should love your family. But if you love them more than Jesus, they're a God to you. Oh, he's meddling now. By the way, Jesus said that. He said, I want you to hate your father and mother. What? I want you to hate them. I want you to love me so much they think you hate them. I have two brothers, siblings. We talked about them a lot. That's the way they, they, they think I hate them because I love Jesus so much that I don't do things the way they think I ought to. Very important we understand. Now, back to what Stephen's doing. That covenant we didn't annul, but you've forgotten your roots. Your roots were the one true God. Your roots were circumcision as a sign you were in covenant relationship with God. But you have become to worship the covenant. Not the covenant, you're worshiping circumcision. You're worshiping the law. You're worshiping the, the ceremony. You're worshiping the rituals. You've forgotten the God, the great I am, who delivered you from bondage in Egypt. You've forgotten, you've forgotten. And Saul of Tarsus is right there. He never forgot this moment that he writes later. I want you to notice what he wrote in Romans chapter 9. You don't have to turn there, just notice. Paul writes these words to the church at Rome. I tell you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the adoption, that they were the ones that God gave, the glory, the Shekinah glory of the tabernacle and the temple. They had that privilege, the covenants, Mosaic, Davidic, on and on, the giving of the law, the service of God that the temple worship, the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom the patriarchs, and from whom, according to the flesh, 
history in the flesh, Christ came, or Messiah came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Here's what Saul of Tarsus saved and now writes as the Apostle Paul, a Jew of of Jews, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Here's what he writes. I love my fellow Jews. I love them with all my heart. If you study that closely, you know what he's saying, and it's so poignant. Here's what he's saying. I love my Jewish brethren so much, I would give up my salvation if I could be saved for them. He loved them, didn't he? He loved them. And he knew they had turned their back on their roots. He had gotten it. He'd gotten saved. And obviously God was using them in a miraculous way. But he wanted the Jewish people to get it. You ever wanted to grab somebody and say, are you paying attention? Boy, those of you who are old enough to remember Looney Tunes and Foghorn Leghorn, and he was always trying to teach that little, hey, boy, listen to me, son. I have a son that sometimes that's what I want to do, like this past Friday. Son, are you paying attention? Have you ever wanted to do that with somebody you love? That they're just, they don't get it? And you want to, are you paying attention? Do you not see people you love? And think about it this way. And I don't want to dwell on it, but I want you to think about it this way. A lot of stuff going on in one of the largest churches in this area of the country, right here in our cities, a lot of negative stuff going on in that church. Think back over your lifetime and the lifetime of people you know and how many people have had bad experiences in church somewhere along the way because some pastor abused them, somebody lied to them, somebody who was a leader in the church was caught stealing, doing things. And so their mindset was, I don't need church. The people I know who are in the world, they live better lives than those church people do. I guarantee you we could go around the room and every one of you, either you had that experience or you know somebody that has. What I want to do is put my arms around them and say, you know what, you're right. People, including pastors and elders and deacons and leaders in the church, they're going to let you down. But I'm telling you, Jesus Christ won't. He won't. I worked for three years after I'd gotten saved. When I was in college, I was the janitor of one of the largest churches in this city. I was, the, I was a big dog. I was the chief janitor. And you know, when you're the chief janitor of a church with thousands of people, there's always stuff going on. There's always people. In the, I also had a school that was in our building. So we were busy all the time. I had some guys that worked for me, and, but you also interacted with staff people. And I got such a negative impression of the senior pastor of that church, a man I had greatly admired and looked up to and had done a lot in my life. And I finally had to realize, and I got to the point, if you're the chief janitor of the church, and every time you show up at the building, what are people saying to you? Hey, I saw a dust bunny in the bathroom. Uh, you need to go do this with the commode. Uh, I saw over there in the hall, I don't know if there's a that place that needs to be painted. So every time you walked into the building, what was your thought? God, I wish I was somewhere else. Because I'd been, and I'd only been saved like two, three years. 
You know how God got my attention? He said, you better get your eyes off those men and you better put them where? On Jesus. On Jesus. Because people can let you down. Sometimes they don't want to and they do. Sometimes they don't care. Jesus Christ will never do that. That's why Paul loved these people so much. Stephen loves these people that he's defending himself before. And he wants them to get it as Jews, fellow Jews, and they don't. And it hurts him. So let's see what he says. So number one, you've forgotten your roots. Next point, you've forgotten your deliverers. Verse 9, Acts chapter 7, verse 9. And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. The patriarchs are simply the sons of Jacob. The 12 tribes of Israel, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. He had 12 sons. They're called the patriarchs. They were envious of their brother, Joseph. So they sold him into, sold him into slavery in Egypt. What's the next word in your Bible? Ah, there it is. But God was with Joseph. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, and you've seen the, uh, the, the amazing technical dream code, if nothing else, you know the story of Joseph. And all the horrible things his brothers did to him, Potiphar did to him. Joseph simply was a godly young man trying to do what God wanted him to do, and he ends up in prison. He, he ends up being uh, accused of rape and suffers for years. And all he was trying to do was what was right. At the end of that time, see, God was in control. Time is not a deal with God. He's outside time. But God was with him and delivered him, verse 10, out of all his troubles. Didn't deliver him, by the way, when Joseph thought he should. Didn't deliver him right away. He had to suffer for years. He delivered him out of all his troubles. He gave him favor and wisdom. In the presence of Pharaoh, he became the second most powerful man in the world. God allowed him to be sold into Egypt. God allowed him to, to get in prison in Egypt. And God allowed him to interpret dreams. And God allowed him to become the second most powerful man in the world because there was a famine coming and people were going to need food and they were going to have to come to Joseph to get food. You know the story. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Second most powerful man in the world. A famine and a great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan. And our fathers found no sustenance. Our fathers being his brothers who had sold him into slavery, they didn't have any food. But, verse 12, when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. He sent his sons to Egypt to get food because they didn't have any in Canaan. The second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers and Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. I love the story when you read it. I love the Bible because it just tells you the truth. Okay, your brothers sell you into slavery, sibling rivalry. That's a big deal. They sell you into slavery. They wanted to kill him. One of them had a conscience pain. They didn't kill him. So they sell him into slavery. And then years later, they show up to the, to the number two dude in the world, the Pharaoh of Egypt's man, to get food. And suddenly, they, it's made known to them, realize, they realize that's Joseph. What's going through their mind at that moment in time? Oh, we done messed up. We're in some serious stuff here. Joseph is going to have us killed. He has that power. That's what they thought. That's what they thought. Verse 14, Joseph sent and he called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. Jacob went down to Egypt and he died. 
He, he and our fathers, the patriarchs, they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. Just a little side note. When the brothers come before Joseph and they think that they're going to be executed, what does Joseph do? He loves them, he hugs them, and he says those incredible words from Genesis chapter 50. You remember them well. You meant it for evil, but what's the rest of it? God meant it for good. That is the, one of the most important, if, the not, if not the most important doctrinal principle every believer needs to get. God is sovereign. Your God is in control. It may not be like you want it to be right now. When people preach to you, it's going to be the way you want it to be all the time. They're lying to you. Joseph was a godly man as it's walked the planet. And he suffered and he suffered and he suffered because God had a plan. And at the end of that plan, they realized what God was doing. And Jacob just loved them. Even though they tried to kill him or wanted to kill him and sold him into slavery. All he did was love them. Please don't miss that. So what Stephen's trying to share with them is you've forgotten your roots. We need to be like Joseph. We need to be like Joseph, who loved God with all his heart, trusted God when it was difficult. You're not following God. You're following the dictates of your own heart. You've not only forgotten Joseph, you've forgotten Moses. Look at verse 17. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, we talked about that earlier, the Abrahamic covenant, about the seed to come, the delivery, all of that. The people grew and they multiplied in Egypt. Another king arose who did not know Joseph. In other words, you get a new Pharaoh. So now Joseph is not number two in the world. You got a new Pharaoh. At that time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. When he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, was mighty in words and deed. Moses became, would have been, Pharaoh of Egypt. He would have been the most powerful man in the world. I hope you're seeing a pattern here. Joseph was your deliverer. Verse 23, when Moses was 40 years old, it came to his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed, and he struck down the Egyptian. He murdered the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. But they did not understand. Moses was going to be the deliverer. What they saw was a murderer. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, your brethren, why do you wrong one another? Why are you fighting? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed Moses away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Apparently they had social media that no one knew about. In other words, Moses, who do you think you are? We saw you murder the Egyptian yesterday. Don't tell us to stop fighting. Who do you think you are? Then at this saying, Moses fled and he became a dweller in the land of Midian where he had two sons. Forty years go by. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. And Moses saw it. He marveled at the sight and he drew near to observe. The voice of the Lord came to him saying, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses trembled and he dared not look. I bet he did. 
Wouldn't you have loved to be there at that moment? Wow. Moses got to see a little bit of the Shekinah glory of God. He said, just remember, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob, your father, Joseph's father. I am the God of your ancestors. The Lord said to him, take your sandals off your feet. The place you stand is holy ground. I've surely seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their groaning and I've come down to deliver them. And now come, I, God, will send you, Moses, to Egypt. The Moses whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? Is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush? He brought them out of Egypt. Moses delivered them from bondage in Egypt. After he had shown wonders and signs, God brought them out through Moses. In the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness, 40 years. Gave Abraham the promise. Years go by, they just go by. But God, again, principle, principle. God had made that promise to Abraham hundreds of years before. Did God forget his promise? No. When God makes a promise, what does he always do? He keeps it. He told Abraham, I'm going to send a seed, and all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through that seed. And then later on we read in Galatians, Paul writes, he preached the gospel to Abraham, who preached it to Isaac, who preached it to Jacob, who preached it to his sons, one of whom... By the way, it's another little principle there. He had 12 sons. How many of them got it? Out of 12, how many of the sons got it? One. So keep praying for your kids. They'll get there. One. But God always had the remnant. He always had the one, the small number. He had those who were faithful. Oh, he's saying, I'm the God. Maybe it takes years, but when I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. By the way, We don't know exactly how far back it goes, but you know the first time God made the promise of the seed was where? It was in the Garden of Eden after original sin when he told Satan, I'm going to send a seed who will crush your head. That was the first time the promise was made. Then he made it more specific to Abraham. Then he made it more specific later on. Jesus Christ came. And now, this is what's so cool about this. Maybe I'm the only one in the room who thinks it's cool, but that's all right. I don't I've been that way before. What's so cool about this is in 2018, you know who needs to go, gets to go, that's what you need to do at Kroger instead of saying I'm a seed sower. Go up to people in Kroger and say, let me tell you about the seed. What are you talking about? I'm here to buy produce. Let me tell you about the seed. His name is Jesus. He's from a place called Nazareth, but he's the Christ, the anointed one the Savior of mankind. He'll give you hope when you can't find hope anywhere else. He'll give you peace on earth that you're searching for. He'll give you peace with God and the peace of God because he is God. You can't find it anywhere else. See, these Jews have forgotten their roots. The very one that Stephen is being accused of blaspheming, Moses, they'd forgotten all about. They'd forgotten who he was first 80 years of his life, Moses was a failure. Drop down to verse 30. 
40 years had passed, appeared to him in the bush in the wilderness. And he became faithful, obedient. Look at verse 35 again. He's the one God sent. He's the one God sent. Now, verse 36, he brought them out. Verse 37, this is the Moses who said to the children of Israel, same Moses, same deliverer, same one God raised up. The Lord your God will raise up for you, Moses wrote, a prophet like me from your brethren, him you shall hear. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai when he's getting the law and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us, whom our fathers would not obey, but rejected. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, while Moses is on Mount Sinai, getting the law from God, who has delivered them from bondage in Egypt, the children of Israel are saying to Aaron, the high priest with Moses, make us gods, plural, to go before us, idols. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. They made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it's written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god, Rimphim, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. They forgot their deliverer. They forgot. So let's look at one last point today. They disobeyed their own law. They'd forgotten their roots, their own law. We talk about Moses, the very one you're accusing me, Stephen, of blaspheming. He wrote to you. See it right there. We just read it. Moses wrote to you about the great prophet that was to come. That prophet was Jesus Christ. Jesus said these words while he was on the earth. To the Pharisees, Jesus said, quote, If you believed Moses, remember these were experts in the law. These were Jews, Hebrews of the Hebrews. They were top of the ladder. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, Jesus. He wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. If you do not believe the writings of Moses, how will you believe my words? They rejected Jesus Christ. They rejected Moses. The very law they'd been given, and they became idolaters. He mentions there, they rejoiced in verse 41, You made idols. Rejoice in the work of your own hands. They made the idol. They rejected God. They rejoiced in their own work. And they rejected God's man, their deliverer, Moses. And they became a nation of idolatry. Quotes there in verse 42. That's the prophet Amos. About the hypocrisy of the sacrifices. Verse 43 says, You pretended to worship me. You took up the tabernacle of Moloch or Molech called both, 
the star of your God, Rempham, images you made to worship. Let me just hit those right quick and then we're going to close out for today. It says, you took the star of your God, Moloch or Molech. The worshiping of Moloch, Moloch or Molech was the God of the Ammonites. He was worshiped primarily by human sacrifice. Solomon built a temple to Molech on the Mount of Olives. The king of Israel, Manasseh, sacrificed his own son. Burnt his own son on an altar to the god Molech. Rempham, that god, was worshipped through prostitution at the temple. So here's what God said, I gave you over. Took your land away from you. If you don't believe the Bible, I'll just give you two history, quick history lessons, then we're done. Number one, get the nation of Israel, 12 tribes. Ten of them, they, they were divided like 931 B.C. The ten northern tribes were called Israel. The two southern tribes were called Judah. The ten northern tribes just simply went into rampant idolatry, and God allowed them in 722 B.C. to go into the Assyrian captivity. They were taken into captivity by Assyria. Basically, you don't hear from them again in history. The two southern tribes did not learn from their northern brethren, and in 605 B.C., God allowed Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon to come to Jerusalem and Judea and take them captive in three sieges that began in 605 B.C., ended in 586 B.C. They destroyed the temple, leveled it. Destroyed Jerusalem, leveled it. And they took the entire nation away to Babylon for 70 years. God told Jeremiah it's coming. He prophesied. They did not worship God. They worshiped self. And the result was idolatry. And the result was they go into captivity. You can read about it in a little book called Daniel. Powerful book. And then 70 years later, God allows them to go back, rebuild the temple, rebuild Jerusalem. You can read that in two little books called Ezra and Nehemiah. History, history. Because here's what God was saying. You don't want anything to do with me? You're going to reap what you sow. And they did. You want idols? Have at it. See what it gets you. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You will have no other gods before me. They tried it and tried it and tried it, and they paid the price over and over again. Stephen is trying to get them to see. You've forgotten your roots. You've forgotten. And in the process of forgetting, you've forgotten your God. You're about to murder God's man simply because he's telling you about the seed Messiah, who came and died for you and rose from the dead, and all you want to do is kill everybody that talks about him. Now let's apply this to us and then pray. What does all this have to do with us? As the church of Jesus Christ, we share the good news with people. The good news is everybody is a sinner. And everybody is separated from God by that sin, including me and everybody that walks the planet. But Jesus came and died for us anyway. You can reject him. You can live your life for yourself. 
and ultimately you'll, you'll pay, sometimes you'll pay a price on earth, but ultimately you'll pay it in eternity. Or you could surrender to him as your Savior, as your Messiah, as your Christ, as your God who died for you, and you can have peace, hope, purpose, and a life that's meaningful. Not just go through life and be comfortable, but live life with a purpose. That's what we have the privilege of telling people who God really is. Not who they think he is, who he really is. And his name is Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ is alive today. He rose from the dead. He's exactly who he said he was, the great I am. Before Abraham was, I am, he said. Because he was that God in that bush talking to Moses and saying, I am. So, Lord, I know many of us seated here today are Christians, and we know Christ is our Savior. And I pray we're motivated, excited about who our God is, what he's done, what he is doing, what he wants to do through us. And that we don't, we don't forget like the Jews did, who forgot their roots. We would never forget who our Savior is. We would remember, we would proclaim his death till he returns, that it's our privilege, it's our honor to do so. So, Lord, as we close out our time together today and as we sing together, focus in on our lives individually, I just maybe we pray as we stand and sing, where am I with you, Lord? I want to remember and I want to serve Jesus. And if there's somebody here, Father, who does not know Christ as their Savior, if this would be their moment to surrender their lives to Jesus, ask for forgiveness, become a Christ follower. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand as as we sing, and if you'd like for me to pray with you, I'll be down front.